You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, welcome and good morning. We are delighted that you can join us today. How much we'd have longed to have been together in person, particularly on Easter Sunday, but we are delighted you're here with us. And we also realize this gives an amazing opportunity for some of you to explore who Jesus is from the comfort and the safety of your own home. You couldn't have picked a better week to join us. Today it's Easter Sunday. You might expect every week we would talk about Jesus, but particularly today we want to do so. Um, I'm sure, like me, over the last few weeks, you'll have seen an increase of videos sent to you by all different sorts of people, many of them on text or WhatsApp or whatever it is. I would say with no exaggeration, through WhatsApp alone, I reckon I've had literally hundreds. A friend of mine sends me five or six every day. Some are related to the virus and quite serious. Others are light-hearted and maybe just make a reference to it. Some others are so random that in any other season of life, somebody probably wouldn't even send you something like that. I don't know if you've seen some of them. Some of them are funny, some of them are so random, I can't even work out why somebody sent it to me. Anyway, this last week I was watching one of an Australian guy and he's in the queue of a supermarket and he's got about 10 things in his basket and the person in front of him in the queue has filled the conveyor belt full to overflowing with about 50 or so things. And this guy with the 10 things in his basket shoves his way past this other guy saying, excuse me, excuse me, and then creates by just pushing things back a little space for his own stuff at the front of the conveyor belt. And he rams his stuff into this tiny gap he's created. And then he stands there like that's the normal thing to do. And the lady at the checkout, she's almost so shocked and taken back by what's just happened that she just starts scanning this guy who's pushed in stuff like nothing has happened. And the guy who's been pushed out the way, who's got masses of stuff, he's absolutely livid and he starts to seriously show his irritation. Now, by saying that he's seriously showing his irritation, I'm really just been polite. I, I guess you can imagine it though. Imagine if that had happened to you. How would you feel? Some joker pushes in front of you in the queue arrogantly and start to, starts to pretend this is okay and that you don't even exist, purely based on something for their own benefit and their own convenience. Now, there's a few clips that I've watched of this guy doing this thing. Multiple times he does it in multiple different supermarkets. And sometimes it gets fairly close to getting out of hand. The person that um, he's pushed in front of gets so irritated that it could turn quite quickly rather unpleasant. Sometimes people further back in the queue or even at other checkouts, get so frustrated seeing the injustice that they start commenting, they get involved, and at times they grab the guy, shove his stuff back in the basket and push him to the back of the queue. Um, now, all of this happens really quickly. 
but can you imagine the scene of what I'm saying? Can you see it almost in your mind's eye? Can you, can you picture what I'm trying to paint to us this morning? Now, what's fascinating is that each time, just at the, at the point where people are saying, hey, 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 hang on, hang on a minute, what are you doing? Just at that point, the guy who's pushed in says in the most laid back, almost not even acknowledging that somebody might have a problem with what he's done. They, they, he says to the person who's serving him at the till, oh, by the way, I'm going to be paying for the person behind me. And um, I've seen all of the clips of him doing it. I've watched quite a few now, but people just don't believe the guy when he says it, the person behind him in the, in the queue is like, whatever, of course you're not doing that. You're just using this as an excuse to push in. But every time, true to his word, he pays for his 10 things and then the checkout person keeps scanning and he pays then for their shopping for the person behind him. It's, it's kind of amazing. It's um, so disarming. It's an incredibly powerful thing to watch. At times he then ends up shaking hands with the person he's paid for. He's like fist pumping and they're hugging. Um, the person then who originally felt aggrieved often apologizes and says, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. I didn't see that coming. And the guy who's paid just says, hey, hey, no worries. Have a great day. And he, he walks off. Now, I have to say, as much as I love the result, of what he's done. I really don't recommend the approach. I think it has a high potential for um, completely unnecessary confrontation and being misunderstood. But I love the sentiment. I love the value of paying for somebody else's shopping. But it kind of gets better. The bit that really got me is a number of times, once the guy who's just paid the bill walks off, quite spontaneously, the person who's just had their shopping paid for says to the person behind them in the queue, I'll pay for your stuff. And this time, rather than it being confrontational, the person almost can't accept the generosity. They almost can't understand why somebody would do that for them. And they say, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. You don't need to do that. Almost trying to convince them not to. But they, this guy or the person still does anyway. It's brilliant. I love, though, the picture that it stirs. I love the image that it creates in our minds because there's so many parallels to us as we consider Jesus. What he did for us, what he's done for us is beyond human comprehension. At times many of us will have processed that quite differently and at times struggled to fully understand it. What, what really? He would do that for me and not quite believe it. What, there's, well, there's, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not a bad person. I, I don't need that in the first place. I don't need forgiving because I haven't really done anything wrong. I'm not a bad person. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of all just religion and actually I don't have time for any of this. I don't need somebody else meddling in my life or having an opinion in my life or actually I'm just kind of too far gone. You know, I don't, I don't deserve it. I can't accept that from somebody else. And many times, I think a number of us will have processed the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us differently. And yet somebody takes our place in the queue and pays the price we're supposed to pay. And not only says that, but says, I love you so much. 
I want to show you generosity and kindness and forgiveness. But now that I've shown you that, I want to ask you to show that to others, to let your life be an overflow of that. Now, the interesting thing is when, when we get what has been done to us, when we understand the significance of the life, the teaching and the truth of Jesus, I don't think we cannot show that to others because what we have is so undeserved it becomes a natural overflow for us to then show that to others. Now, I'm not talking about a little video of somebody I've watched pushing in at the queue in a supermarket, paying for somebody else's shopping and the way they've done that almost being potentially a bit confrontational. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Son of God, Jesus, coming to earth, being born, teaching us a way to live, dying on a cross to pay our price for sin, raising from the dead and now being seated with God the Father and interceding for us and offering us a relationship with God through himself. A bill being paid at the checkout fades into insignificance when you're talking about your sins being forgiven and the life that we have been restored and secured and having it a full and loving relationship with Almighty God. Now let's just realise that for a moment. He conquered the grave. Sin and death has no power over him and he can extend that to us. In a season of life where, where fear and our ability to control life or at least our awareness of death is surrounding us, we can fail Sorry, we can fall to our knees in acknowledgement of the one who has overcome it and allowed us to step into the freedom and the knowledge of knowing that. In the Bible, in a guy called Paul in a book in Corinthians in chapter 2, he said, he said this, I have decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Paul was a highly intelligent guy who could have over, over, overwhelmed his listeners with intellectual arguments and um, all sorts of different ways that could have made it complicated. Instead, he shared the simple message of Jesus by allowing the Holy Spirit to guide his words. And today, I want to do nothing more than that. I want to try as simply as I can to encourage you to turn your eyes to Jesus. Now it may be that you're joining us this morning looking for an anchor and a stability for your soul. Everything around us is changing and crashing. The financial security has crashed. The material security, the relational interactions, the social settings, the job security, the health expectations, the freedom of movement. Whoever we are and wherever we live, this has leveled so much and it's impacted so much. All things have been and are being shaken. And yet one thing that is not shaken is Jesus Christ. Now you might feel shaken, an anxiety, a loss of hope, a confused time, a time where you constantly find yourself crying or being robbed of peace or where you can't sleep or just can't find a way to settle. Even if you don't, and this time doesn't feel daunting, regardless of how we feel or don't feel, one thing that is not shaken 
is Jesus. And I want to encourage us today to build our lives, to anchor our lives on Jesus and Jesus alone. I've shared this with some of you before, but I really love a good tide fight. Do you know what I mean? You get to the beach early and you build your sandcastle that rivals any other sandcastle on the beach. It rivals Windsor Castle and it's got turrets and tunnels and it's got carefully constructed drawbridges and tunnels that lead to tunnels and you've got backup lines of defence with further walls and the stones mixed in with sand and you've poured dry sand on tops of parts of it to strengthen it and to try and cause the, the sand to set in a certain way and you've got a combination of wet and dry sand to get the walls to the right strength and you're picking the right part of the beach to give you enough time to build it before the tide comes in and people who are passing by end up almost forming small crowds going well this 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 guy's kind of taking his sandcastle building quite seriously and you, you know you're constantly trying to help the kids stay engaged so that it looks like you're helping them rather than the other way around and you have to buy the kids the right bucket and spade so that it can stand up to the job and the demands that you're going to place it on. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? You get, the, you get the flimsy spade and bucket or you get the one that's a bit more SAS. You know, it's got the reinforcement on the end and it's got a tip and a, it's, it's just good for digging. You're going to get a more faster and more productive dig. And um, in my mind now, even now, as I think about it, I can see some of the better creations and places and beaches I've constructed them because they can become a bit of a feat to behold. Now, if you're thinking like, well, Paul, you kind of lost it. I dare say some of you are, but I think also I want to call this out. I think some of you are thinking, yeah, I've, I've done that. Or actually, I'm, I'd be up for that. But anyway, don't, don't judge me. I was kind of just doing it for the kids, sort of. But um, anyway, despite having a burnt back from digging half the day and you've eaten sandwiches with sand in it, you, you, you get to create this fortress and it's phenomenal. But the reality is it just doesn't last long. There's either the person who's walking up and down the beach who just doesn't care enough for your handcrafted creation and they mindlessly just stumble into it and you, then you can't recreate it in the same way that you first had. Or there's a child on the beach who just gets too jealous and too inquisitive and stands too close that the added pressure of them being that close on the stand just causes your empire to crumble. And again, there's nothing you can do about it. Or the tide does what the tide does and it comes in. And at first it's a delight as it starts to fill the many moats and tunnels that you've dug and you're there kind of just rapidly trying to redig it slightly and get out where the sand's in filling or you pour in dry sand on the top to try and strengthen the walls but again after five minutes or so it's pretty pointless it's pretty much over and I'm having to then retreat to the more advanced bunker further up the beach that I'd built about an hour before and by now the kids have lost interest and the locals are thinking you've gone too far, you've got a backup sandcastle. Now, just for clarity with all of that, I'm not actually as barking mad as I might sound. Well, anyway, we could talk about that another time. But in, in Matthew, in a book in the Bible, Jesus said this. Let me read it to you. It says in Matthew 7, 
And starting in verse 24, it says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You know, I can think of no parallel in my life to the season we're in now. Even the things we thought we could control or had ownership over, we start to realise we don't. Even the quick fix plasters that previously could have patched up pains or inadequacies or vulnerabilities are no longer able to bring the same comfort and reassurance. Our building of sand, our man-made structures that hold life together are being exposed as just temporary dwellings, no longer able to offer us hope or security. Our houses, our castles, our fortresses in life, our structures we start to realise may have just been built on sand. Verse 27 says, when the rain and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it collapses with a mighty crash. Yet in Jesus, we find the very thing that often we don't see because we just don't realise the depth of our need. You don't realise you need Jesus until all you have is Jesus. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in its torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. Jesus asks us to leave everything and follow him. In seasons in life like this, that we may find we followed other things that come before him. This brings them into sharper focus because we realize they're just sand and it collapses and the rain and the floods come in. I believe we have a huge moment in time, in life, in society to press reset. We have a huge moment to realign who we are and the foundation on which we stand. For some of us, it's literally everything. This is a moment of needing to do a complete U-turn and acknowledge our need of Jesus for the first time. For others of us, there's just certain aspects in our lives that have yet to be submitted to his Lordship. Will we realise the moment we're in? Have you ever seen, let me give you an example, have you ever seen a young person holding a thin piece of rope attached to a huge bull the size of a garden shed? I've seen it a couple of times actually, particularly on a winding country lane abroad, and there's one particular occasion that I can really remember and draw to mind. The, the bull was massive, and it even made the car we were in at the time feel tiny. And it was far more powerful than the young lad could control with this tiny piece of rope, even almost string, just looked like a bit of a mockery. And uh, this bit of string or rope, whatever it was, was, was just through a nose ring attached to the bull. And it kind of panics the life out of me, to be honest, to think about it. The, the young lad didn't stand a chance if this bull tried to move on or do anything. Yet some, for some reason, the bull seemed 
blissfully unaware of its power and might and it just followed this young lad like he was walking a small dog. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that. But the first few times I saw it, I didn't actually realise at the time, was that often a farmer would train a bull by attaching a ring and a rope through their nose right from a very young age. And they would often tie the rope then to a post and the bull from a young age would get used to the idea that it can't escape. So by the time it's fully grown, the bull has had so much experience of being enslaved by the rope that it doesn't realise, it doesn't understand that it can break free. Which might mean this giant bull then can be led by this small lad without it ever occurring to them that it could just charge off. Now sadly, I think many of us live like that. We're trapped and we're bound by the many things of life and the many things of society, the many trappings of our culture and the distractions that pull us away from the reality of who Jesus is. The passage I read in Corinthians said this, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I want to remind us of Jesus Christ. He frees us. He restores us and he builds our life on the rock, his rock. The depth and complexity of Jesus shatters our simple mental frameworks. Jesus baffled profound scribes with his wisdom and yet was understood and loved by children. He calmed a raging storm with a word and yet would not get himself down off the cross. Jesus is like no other. We have to consider who he is. Is he liar, a lunatic, or is he our Lord? Now there's little doubt that he existed in history. It's whether you choose to realize he came and he has the power to save us and free us and in him we can place our trust. Now, an indication that we're gaining something from the current season in our lives that we're walking through, an indication that we're gaining something from living through this pandemic, is that we'd be able to say, as Paul did, he said, I know how to live on almost nothing or within everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. My hope and my faith and my trust is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And you have an opportunity to find that, to realise that, to discover that and live that out in your life today. But he didn't just come to save us from something, he came to call us into something. If we choose to follow him, our lives will never be the same. You know, when your bill is paid at the checkout, it causes you to turn to the person behind you and share and extend what you've just been through. I want to share with you an honest, prophetic, practical quote that I read this last week by Martin Luther in giving some advice to churches in a letter he wrote in 1527 when Wittberg in Germany was overrun by the plague. When asked what he would do, this was his answer. He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, 
administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to become contaminated and thus inflict and pollute others and so, cause, so to cause their death as a result of my negligence. I think it's amazing. He's basically saying, I had wisdom for social distancing. He took seriously what was happening around him, but rather than live with worry, he sought to live out wisdom. But he went on and he said, if God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he expected of me. And so I am not responsible for even my death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid the place or the person, but go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. You know, in a time like this, I believe that the church and our mission and our mandate is the same, is to love God and serve the church and serve the world around us with everything within us. Can I encourage us to step as fully as we can into that? To give our lives to Jesus is step one, but step two is to follow him into his mission to show the world around us his love and the freedom that it brings. You know, we've known, Steph and I have known for, for a while, our immediate street fairly well. They know who we are, they know what we're about. We've sought to um, use this particular time we're in now to reach a bit further into further streets and roads around us. Initially pushing cars through their doors to let people know we're here and willing to help. And we've got loads of them if that would help you do a similar thing. But then building relationships through delivering food and collecting prescriptions, it's, it's been a remarkable time for us to get to know a number of extra people. Our daughter has drawn pictures for some people that we've delivered things to and we we're able to take them as well. One of them's put it on display in their window. You know, I, I really believe people will remember who helped them in a time like this. But we recently, just this last week, we invited our street to join us in filling the van as we seek to love and serve those with some of the most pressing needs in this city. The response, honestly, was overwhelming. Piles of food, piles of nappies, all sorts. And um, I, I actually can't quite believe I'm saying this, but they also took up an offering. Now, actually, some of you guys on our street, you're watching this now. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us and thank you for partnering with us. But, you know, I'd say to all of us, I believe we have an opportunity to reach out. If it's helpful to you, we've created some flyers that you might be able to post through your neighbor's doors to ask them to fill the van alongside us. This is a wonderful opportunity. People are looking and longing to do something good and we have an opportunity and a chance to draw them into sharing the compassionate heart of Jesus for those in need. Some of the needs we're encountering in this city, particularly around where we normally meet on a Sunday, is heartbreaking. And we need to do more. We need to step up and step in to being able to bring practical 
provision. As Luther said, if my neighbour needs me, however, I shall not avoid the person or place. Now I'm not saying we ignore government advice, but more this is such a moment in time to be an outpost that we're called to be. The church is an outpost of God's empire, a community of people whose passport has been stamped heaven, but who are continuing to live in a foreign land, earth, with the aim of making that foreign land more like home our heavenly home. Living in a foreign culture can be exhausting and at times it can be discouraging. So God has designed the local church, a little signpost, an outpost of heaven scattered throughout the world where people who share the same passport can regroup, speak the home language, encourage each other, equip each other to be missionaries to the world around us. The church is therefore one of the most powerful and refreshing places on earth. But we're not a social club, we're an army barracks. We have a mission and a mandate to, to live out and to fulfil. So us who want to, to do this, we need to have seen Jesus. We need to have seen Jesus to want to live like that, to want to live as the army barracks. We need to understand who he is. I know for many of you, in a time like this, you're asking questions. Many of you will have joined us today because you're asking questions. Who is God? What does it mean for my life? How could God allow something like this to happen? Now we're about to run Alpha online. You'd be very welcome to join a small group of people and ask some of those questions. But you know, many of you will be more familiar with the story of the birth of Jesus than his death and resurrection. Let me just jump back to his birth. Do you remember the wise men who visited Jesus after his birth? The wise men who traveled thousands of miles to see the King of the Jews. And when they finally found him, they responded with joy, with worship, and in bringing him gifts. That's so different to the approach that people often take today. We expect God to come looking for us, to explain himself, to prove who he is, to give us gifts, to answer some of our questions. But those who are wise still seek and worship Jesus today, not for what they can get, but because of who he is. Can I encourage you to do that? to press in and to pursue Jesus. Can I encourage you to consider building your life and the foundation of your life on the rock? And the rock is Jesus. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. Building our lives on the rock means that we carry and can say with confidence, I know how to live almost with nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You know, in John chapter 1 verse 14 in the message, which is a parallel version of the Bible, sorry, a paraphrased version of the Bible, it says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We can, through Jesus, know God. Jesus, through the power of, the, of his Holy Spirit, can live in us 
and move through us and strengthen us. And we have an opportunity in this season, not only now, but in the days ahead to know him and live in the way that he's asked us to live and let that impact the roads and the streets that we live on with power that has that can transform lives and change and transform souls. You know, on this Easter Sunday, what we'd love to do is to give you an opportunity to come before Jesus. This might be the first time you've ever done that. Jesus didn't die because you were a bit naughty. Jesus died because you were spiritually dead and God wanted to give us a way to be restored and have right relationship with him and to draw us into life because he is alive. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to it, to God for it. He broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people and agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. What is the Lord's Supper? What is the significance to us? Well, it's remembering Jesus. It's saying to Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me and restore me. You know, I love times and opportunities like this because what we're doing is coming before him afresh and saying I fall short but because of Jesus I can be cleansed healed and restored and have right and real relationship with the living God in a moment I'd encourage you to take some of the bread and juice you will have with you and rip off a bit of the bread and dip it in the juice or the wine or whatever you've got what we'd ask is that anybody who joins us in celebrating the Lord's Supper in this way does it reverently. But if you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, why don't you feel free to once let that pass you by, but we'd encourage you, take this moment. In this moment, come before him and invite him into your heart. You might want to pray a really simple prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. And you might just want to take a moment to reflect on what they are. Take a moment to ask for his forgiveness and anything that just springs to mind in your conscience. Say, Lord, please forgive me. I now want to turn from everything that I know is wrong. I thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. And now I want to ask for your gift and offer of forgiveness. I want to ask and receive the gift of your Holy Spirit. Please come and live in my life. Live with me, change me, strengthen me, disciple me forever. And I say thank you, thank you Jesus. You know, if you've prayed a prayer like that, we'd love it if you could let us know. Email us, WhatsApp us, we'd love to send you some resources. Equally, if you'd like somebody to pray with you this morning or this afternoon, uh, why, don't, why don't you let us know? We can easily link you up with um, somebody. In a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and join my family and we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. And we'd encourage you to do the same. But before we do, let me, let me just pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you sent Jesus. 
Thank you that not only did you come, but you died and you overcame the grave. And we thank you for the resurrection power that now lives in us. Today we want to reflect, we want to celebrate, we want to come boldly before you, created anew. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. And we say thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you. Amen. Well, we just wanted to say Happy Easter. We hope you have a wonderful day. But why don't we just go into our own homes now and, and share the Lord's Supper together. And we'll see you soon. listening to find out more head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description